This is Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 podcast on MarketScale. Here, B2B's youngest stars share the ideas, concepts, and innovations that are catching fire in the fastest growing markets. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and on today's Wildfire Science episode, we're joined by Tanya Gupta, a VR intern at NASA's Kennedy Space Center. Tanya is reaping the benefits of a structural overhaul at NASA. With thriving government and private partnerships for space travel, technology in the space is flourishing, allowing for upgrades in AR and VR to take hold and grow exponentially. She'll give us some insight on how technology like VR is simplifying and speeding up the process for innovation in aerospace engineering, the collaborative power of NASA, and why being a creative in the space was so important for her. Pun intended. Tanya, how are we doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, You know, first off, I just got to say working for NASA was something that I thought I was going to be doing when I was like six. I <laughs> I went to the <laughs> Dallas Science Museum or whatever it used to be called if it's changed. I don't know. I, I haven't gone to a museum in a while, but I went there and uh, it was the day, like a day or two after the explosion, the spacecraft explosion. I think it was the Columbia, which is tragic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was just exploring everything and the news crew came by and interviewed me at six years old and asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up and what I thought about the explosion and... I was like, yeah, I want to be an astronaut. And then I thought more about it and I was afraid that I'd get hit by a meteor or something. So I <laughs> I, <laughs> I decided I would just be Spider-Man or something instead. So uh, I see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's cool that you're actually, you know, you you stuck with it. You weren't scared of the meteors and you you made your way into NASA, which I think is really, really cool that you are working at such a prestigious um, organization. So I want to know, how did you even get in there? I know you went to NYU as a mechanical engineering student, but from there to uh, working with VR for NASA, um, it seems like kind of a step away from uh, a more technological side of STEM to a more creative side. So how did you make that shift? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I have changed my, uh, I guess, my so-called career path a lot um, in my life. Uh, When I came into NYU, I was actually going to be a biomedical engineering student doing like biomolecular science. Um, Before I even started school, I was like, I don't like biology. I'm going to switch to electrical engineering. And then I did a year of that. And then I was like, I think I'm uh, narrowing myself too much in a career. So I'm going to go with a more broad engineering uh, field. And so I switched to mechanical. So I've gone from one to another to another. And what's funny is that um, I think probably in my junior year um, in college, I realized that I probably should have just done computer science. So, <laughs> but it was a little, it was a little too late. Yeah. Um, but I had a pretty good um, skill set uh, already from my mechanical engineering curriculum. So what I ended up doing is actually taking a summer and studying abroad at NYU Berlin um, through the Tisch School of the Arts. Uh, and I was taking a multimedia projects workshop which focused more on the um, creative aspect of technology. And that's when I was um, exposed to VR and AR, so virtual and augmented reality. So I played around with the Oculus Rift and the Microsoft HoloLens and uh, the Leap Motion Xbox Connect and um, worked on a bunch of interactive 
multimedia pieces, um, kind of honing in more on uh, my creative skills and focusing more on that than the actual programming or coding aspect of it. And I realized this passion, basically. And so after I returned to New York City after that, um, I basically poured all of my free time outside of academics into uh, honing skills for the space. So I've taught myself Python. Um, I've tried to uh, enter augmented and virtual reality classes at NYU, even if they weren't necessarily for my major. I worked on a project, um, a VIP project, so they, they call it as a vertically integrated project at NYU, where we were um, virtualizing an electrical engineering uh, university curriculum uh, so that people who didn't have access to lab components could complete their degree uh, from afar or online. So that was really cool. Um, but basically, the the long answer to your short question is um, <laughs> my my academic discipline isn't necessarily what has prepared me for the space. Um, I just realized this interest of mine and kind of went for it, uh, despite the fact that I may not have had professional knowledge in the field. Um, so how did I get to NASA? Uh, well, like you, I also have wanted to work for NASA since I was really little. Um, actually, when people ask me, you know, when when did you discover this love for space or whatever? It's, it's a funny story. I watched this. Uh, I used to have this VHS of Barbie and the Rockers rocking back to earth <laughs> <laughs> and it was a um an animated movie like a cartoon movie made in i think 1985 and in it barbie has a band and oh she goes God. to outer space she gives the first concert for world peace and when her band tries to come back to earth they accidentally go into a time warp and go back in time to 1955 and it's all about her coming back to present day and working with a rocket scientist um, to make it happen. And I was just obsessed. I mean, she I mean, she's Barbie. She's a rock star. Oh, yeah. Barbie is everyone's hero. Absolutely. I still want to be Barbie. Um, <laughs> and she she goes out of space. She's an astronaut. There's like this amazing dream sequence where she's floating in space and putting on makeup. And I was just like, that's what I want to do. Um, so fast forward, obviously I realized being Barbie and being a pop star in space may not be so reasonable, but nevertheless, uh, I pursued STEM and interestingly enough, I actually haven't had a lot of internship experience or professional experience in engineering at all in college. And when I was approaching my senior year, I was getting really nervous because all of my friends had gotten these really prestigious internships and were really building their careers. Um, and they had been for the last three years. And I, I felt a little lost. I felt a little unprepared for the real world. And so I just kind of threw caution to the wind and applied, uh, kind of applied to a bunch of big names that I felt I probably didn't have any shot at. But Somehow, I managed to get an internship at uh, NASA's Armstrong Flight Research Center at Edwards, California. On uh, It's on Edwards um, Air Force Base. And I was a flight operations engineer there. Uh, so that was in the spring. And then that was kind of a stepping stone to the um, dream internship, if you if you will, which is the one that I'm currently at. Um, and I'm in the virtual and augmented reality lab at Kennedy Space Center. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you're from from Barbie to NASA, you made the full, you know, the the full leap 
of faith. That's Absolutely, amazing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but did you expect there to be such creative fields out there when you were studying mechanical engineering and you were sort of looking at the aerospace industry? Were you expecting there to be some kind of spot out there that would allow you to be creative in a highly technical field? Yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, when I switched to mechanical engineering, I did uh, I, I did think that automotive, the automotive industry or aerospace industry would be a really good space for me to enter. Um, I've always found them to be fascinating, and um, I thought that they would be a good fit for me, but pretty much my whole life I have used, I'd say, both my left brain and right brain uh, equally. So in school, you know, like some people say, oh, I was really good at math and I, I don't know, I'm not really good at English or, oh, I'm terrible at science, but I love history or something like that. I, I never really had that dilemma other than the fact that calculus ruined my life. Um, <laughs> I pretty much like, uh, you know, the humanities and STEM pretty equally. So I... When I got a little bit older, I realized that that meant I would probably want to do something professionally where I could use both sides of my brain equally. Um, and I don't think I expected there. I definitely did not expect NASA to be um, the place to have this uh, intersection between art and STEM. But um, if you really think about it, you know, virtual reality, it's an emerging technology that's kind of going to take over the world, so to speak. Um, I, I'm completely confident of that. Um, but the very nature of the technology is such that you have to have a creative perspective in order to be able to implement the technology properly. Um, so I think that like people in the space, there's an equal split between um, hard, fast programmers. Like you can imagine in the movies, right? Someone with a hood, like behind a screen <laughs> with like green numbers running across like typing furiously oh yeah enough of those but there's also like so many creators and developers and animators and um you know artists that are just as involved and integral to the technology so i think i i'm really excited about that and i think i'm also really lucky that at such a young age i've been able to find something that i can really use like my entire arsenal of skills towards Absolutely. Well, I also want to mention calculus ruined my life too. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, terrible. It is terrible. So bad. I uh, We had AP calculus at my high school and um, oh, God. we it, it was we had a b and b c so it was like the 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 lower level one and the higher level one and i took uh -huh. the lower lower level one and i got a a one on the exam so it was um that is probably my my worst failure on test taking <laughs> in uh in school history then then i retook the bc the following year and did considerably better so i i was redeemed thank goodness there you um, go yeah, yeah right everything works out in the end so with being in nasa in such a creative field uh especially in a in a technology that is so revolutionary and people keep finding new ways to implement it how have you seen VR come into the aerospace industry and really change things for the better? So I think one of the most exciting things for me is, um, so part of my job is uh, research, which uh, by definition means that I get to spend a couple hours a day basically just playing games, and it's great. 
Um, so I kind of scour the Oculus store or the Vive store. I see what, uh, what games and interactive experiences are coming up, which ones are free, which ones cost money, why they do. So there's a lot of just, uh, like data gathering that I'm doing. Um, but one of the most exciting things is that, uh, some of the most popular free experiences that you can get on VR today are actually from NASA. And you can tour the International Space Station in VR, um, which can be kind of disorienting. I will warn you, if you're interested in doing that, make sure you're sitting down because there's no gravity up there. And oh, man, that is it's a trip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you can also check out... Um, Rocket launches, you can actually be a, a part of a rocket launch. You can see the inside of the Orion capsule. So um, in terms of entertainment and education, there's definitely a lot there because um, I'm, I'm sure you, you may know, like, you know, most people are really intrigued by space and, and, and NASA and what we're doing in general. And to be able to explore that firsthand in such an immersive way is so cool. And it's uh, accessible to the masses and it's free. And that's really important. Now, on uh, the back-end side or in the internal side, there's also a lot of really great stuff being done um, in terms of training, astronaut training. They use uh, VR for training pilots um, that do testing at the flight research facilities. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff there that you can do to mimic... Um, Things that you can't really do physically on Earth, right? So if you want to mimic um, weightlessness, wait, 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 weightlessness, weightlessness. <laughs> Try to say that three times. Wait, wait, late, latenessness, <laughs> listness, and weightlessness. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, if you try to experience that, you can actually put someone underwater and then put some VR on them and then simulate an environment where they're actually just floating in space, which is really cool. So you can manipulate the real life environment. Um, to suit whatever you're trying to train someone for. So coming in, um, I only had as much knowledge as I could find on Google about what NASA is doing with the technology. And after coming here, there's so much really cool stuff going on. And it's not just virtual reality. They're also using augmented reality. So the difference between augmented and virtual is that virtual is completely immersive. So you wear a headset that completely blocks off the real world. Um, whereas augmented uh, can be more like it's more like Google Glass uh, or or even Pokemon Go. So you can actually see your physical environment, but there's an overlay of some sort of simulated technology there. Um, and so there's just there's a lot of parallel projects that are taking place. Um, my lab is working on four different ones right now, but also there's several others across NASA. Um, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena is also working on it. Langley Research Facility is also working on it. So there's, there's a lot of um, really cool stuff happening. I think that the biggest thing is sometimes there's not uh, enough communication between the different projects. So two people or two, um, two teams might be working on something very similar and maybe even tackling the same problems, but they don't realize that someone else is also dealing with that or maybe has found a solution to it. So maybe that's something that uh, we can work on a little bit more. Yeah, communication is key, especially in something where you're dealing with such high levels of, of tech and the the stakes are so high. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, you want to you wanna make sure the communication is definitely unlocked. Um, so, okay, we're going to take a, a slight departure from VR for a second, but we're going to work our way back. Uh, I promise it'll all link. I have the puzzle pieces mapped out in my head. So, oh, we're going to, yeah, <laughs> got to be prepared. So, we're going to chat a little bit about just the space exploration business in general. 
Um, I know kind of for a while, NASA was struggling to get funding for space exploration. And now there's sort of been an overhaul with a lot of private companies like SpaceX um, and Blue Origin uh, coming out and actually creating agreements between NASA and them to uh, to change the way that space exploration business runs, right? I mean, that this intersection between a government agency and uh, a, a private company is really interesting to see. So since you've been at NASA, what kind of overhaul have you seen and why do you think that this shift is changing? Why do you think that more private companies are taking command of space exploration and, and commercializing um, the space industry? And I, was it in response to maybe some some issues in the industry that people wanted to see changed? Definitely. Um, I think coming into NASA, I had a lot of the same assumptions that a lot of people have um, about space exploration between the government and the private sector, which is that Hmm, like, doesn't it seem kind of like they're uh, competing for the spotlight or, you know, are they in competition? You know, what's kind of the situation there? I was always under the impression that that's kind of what was going on, that Elon Musk is ch like challenging our government. <laughs> right. But really, you know, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, so Kennedy Space Center particularly has uh, kind of created this new... Uh, persona. It's called, it's called the multi-user spaceport. And the reason for that is uh, of the launch pads that we have here on center, um, over 50% of them are used by private companies. In fact, one of the launch pads, Launchpad 39, is owned by SpaceX. That is exclusively SpaceX's launch pad. That's the one that all of the Falcon um, rockets have taken off from. So um, there definitely has to be these agreements with uh, NASA that, you know, we can use your space, um, we can use your technology. A lot of these rockets that are being sent out, like the Falcon Heavy, for example, is actually a cargo ship that's being sent up to the ISS. Um, so there's, there's uh, teamwork there, which is really interesting. Um, on center, we have an entire complex dedicated to Blue Origin. They have their own kind of building complex on center. SpaceX is the same. We work closely with Orbital AD ATK, which is also another company, uh, private company that we're working with. So um, in terms of this overhaul, I think that um, in a lot of ways, uh, the government has a tendency to stick to its ways because that's what works. And there's a lot at stake here, obviously, because we are funded by taxpayers' dollars. We want to make sure that we're using it to its best degree. Um, but at the same time, I think that that stubbornness can kind of close you in on this box and um, not allow you to progress forward. Um, and I think when we stopped the shuttle, we had to we stopped the shuttle missions um, in 2011. After that, there wasn't a lot of space exploration necessarily happening, except for what we were the research that we were doing on the International Space Station, and we just needed someone to we needed people to come in and say, "Hey, we need to change this." And Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are two very powerful, very rich people who were able to do that for us, and um, you know. They are basically doing what we are limited not to do because of funding. A lot of it comes down to money. It boils down to money and also a little bit of bureaucracy. Um, and I mean this in honest, just the most honest way that 
sometimes, you know, if you have this crazy idea, you're just, you just can't do it because of the red tape. You just can't do it because there's an, a hierarchy of 10 different people you have to go through to say yes. And one person says no, and you can't do it. Whereas, um, private companies have a lot more leeway there. And, um, I think we're really lucky to have this really, uh, unique relationship with these startup companies and these, these other space exploration companies to be helping us do what we want to do, which is, you know, explore the final frontier, go out to space. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I know we've had some people on the podcast that, that have worked for government agencies and have said that, yeah, the, the bureaucracy on that side of things can be really difficult to work your way around just because there, there are a lot of standards. And I feel like especially in space exploration, um, I mean, you have millions and millions of dollars on the line when you're launching a, a spacecraft and you have human life on the line too with the astronauts in the spacecraft and the funding just, it, it, it must have not felt critical enough. And now that you have uh, the private sector boosting um, the whole idea of getting out there and, and the positivity and the necessity of exploring, of, uh, I don't know, maybe even one day like colonizing, right? I mean, way down the line, like that, that is a future for us. And it's great to see that there's collaboration between the private sector and the government sector. Absolutely. So now back to VR, See, I, I have the pieces together. So now, I, I guess with that, <laughs> with this shift, um, this collaboration between the private sector and government agencies, um, how has technology like VR uh, sort of encouraged this overhaul? Has it been a player in, um, in allowing minds to change about what is possible with space exploration or maybe making it easier? Because I know that at least with the Falcon rockets, uh, comparatively to, to some of the rockets that were launched with the shuttle missions through NASA, which cost millions and millions and millions of dollars, the Falcon rockets are a lot cheaper and re more uh, reusable. So there's already money being saved. Like People are finding innovative ways to get more rockets out um, at a cheaper cost, which must encourage more of the exploration. So has VR been sort of a catalyst in that way? Has, has it had any impact on this overhaul? So the work that we're doing here at the AVR lab is, um, it has a lot to do with making what we already have here at NASA more accessible. So um, for example, one of the things that we're doing is working with the design visualization group at Boeing um, to be able to show their 3D models in virtual reality. So right now, when Boeing wants to demo their rockets, uh, demo the uh, Orion capsule, show what the 3D model looks like, so show the interior, you know, show animation that, oh, these, these joints work like this, and this crane works like this, and the hatch opens like this, um, they have to bring people or whoever they're demoing to, um, into their space, into their office, um, onto these really expensive computers with um, licenses for the software that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars um, and show them on this 4K projector, which is undoubtedly incredible. I mean, you're looking at an entire rocket to scale in perfect 4K. It's almost like you could touch it. It's amazing. It definitely is. But 
it's costly, um, especially for people who are not in the area. They aren't able to experience it to the fullest. Um, and so what we're trying to do is bring higher level engineering models into the VR environment and make them compatible with the software that we use to view things in VR. And there's a lot of converting there. There's a lot of file conversions. There's a lot of just technical jargon, technical hurdles to cross. Um, but overall, if this is something that we are able to accomplish, we will be saving both NASA and Boeing hundreds of thousands of dollars just to show people what we're doing. You know, it's as simple as that. We're not, our project is not training astronauts. It's not um, sending information to the ISS. It's not working with any high level technology, so to speak. It's literally just showing dynamic images of whatever equipment or technology that we have and making it accessible for people to see. And that alone is going to be such a huge thing for, or such a huge way for us to save money. So that's really exciting. What a simple, but like really ground level uh, change. It's, it's so interesting to see the way VR can be used. Um, because yeah, just like you said, the fact that you're, you don't have to spend time, energy or money building mock-ups or, you know, to, to sh just show, Hey, this is what we're planning on doing. And then let's say NASA, um, looks at it and says, this isn't going to work. You know, you're going to have to fix this. Well, then what a, what a waste of money and time that you just spent trying to put together this mock-up piece instead with the VR, you know, everyone straps in their goggles and can get a detailed, immersive look at what's around the corner. And then fixing or changing the blueprints is as easy as, oh, I think this needs to change. It's like, okay, I'm going to go back to the model and fix that. Not waiting for, you know, the next mock-up to, um, to be crafted and uh, put in front of the faces of, of the people in charge of approving. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting stuff. It's, it's revolutionary. And I mean, that have you seen that effect that that bureaucratic red tape too that you've been talking about? I mean, the fact that VR is making it so easy, have you seen it encourage more of that collaboration? Well, in terms of collaboration, I since I only just got here, I don't actually know how it's been in the past um, in terms of our relationship to other groups or other private companies that we're working with. True. But on the project that I'm currently on, uh, you know, we are working very closely with Boeing and it's it's a very symbiotic relationship. And I think it's because we all have this very clear um, goal that we all can agree on and we all see the things that VR can do for us, all of the changes that we can accomplish and how we can progress forward. And I think that we're all very inspired by that. Um, and so as far as I've seen so far, there's been, it's very encouraging. We, we all encourage each other to think outside the box, to use this technology to its fullest. Um, we're learning things every single day. I mean, VR is still very new. Um, you know, the, the Oculus Rift, I think, has only been out for, I want to say, two years um, in its full form. And so every day there's new technology coming out, new updates, new developer kits, uh, just new news about the technology and how we can implement it in a new way. Um, it's actually interesting because when we're uh, developing on our software, we will find that Monday of last week we had 
developed something that was working completely and Tuesday of this week suddenly it's not working anymore and we're like why why is it why is it doing yeah. that and it's because they completely changed the program and the software because they updated it and now we're like oh we just have to click a button to do the 10 lines of script that we wrote so it's really cool but at the same time um i think it's more than anything it's encouraging and we're all we all have the same goal which is great definitely so you know being one of the the younger faces at that team um what kind of unique value do you think you're bringing to the table um, I mean, do you think coming at it from, you know, being part of a younger generation is giving you a, a unique outlook on things? Um, do you think you have a, a particularly interesting set of, of skills? Like, uh, oh God, now I'm sounding like a Liam Neeson from Taken. <laughs> uh, a particular set of skills. Yeah, nice. You're not, <laughs> you're not assassinating anyone, which is good. Um, but, but yeah, like what... What do you think about being a fresh face at NASA um, gives you the the ability to do? Um, you know, what what kind of unique value are you bringing? Yeah, definitely. I, I would say that uh, my perspective is different from the people who have been here for, you know, so many years. I'm 21 years old, but there's people who have been working here for 21 years. And the way that we see things is very different, um, especially for people who, you know, have worked my, like my boss, for example, he he worked on the shuttle missions and he he was here when Columbia crashed. And, you know, so many other people have seen NASA go through extreme joy and extreme sorrow. And I think because of that, they think in a very certain way. They may not take as many risks. Um, and I, I don't mean just when lives are on the line. I just mean in general, there's a lot of, oh, well, we can play it safe. We know that this works, so let's stick to this which can be really great, but also when you're talking about an emerging technology that hasn't even really reached its peak yet, I think you have to think outside the box. And um, because I, I want to say maybe my naivete gives me an upper hand because the fact that I haven't seen these things happen and I haven't really seen I guess I haven't really lived life the way that they have. Uh, sure. It gives, it gives me a little bit of that childlike wonder where I'm like, oh, well, you know, what if we do this and this? And what if we explode this? Can we do that? And they'll be like, actually, maybe we can. Let's try it, um, which is great. And I think that my favorite thing about interning here has been the fact that my opinion matters just as much as anyone else. A full-time employee, a contractor, um, another intern, someone who's been here for ages, my boss's boss's boss. I mean, when we're sitting in a meeting, if I have a point to make, it will be treated with just as much gravity as anyone else. And that is so humbling and also makes me feel, it gives me a lot more confidence in my abilities um, because it makes me realize you know, I'm not doing coffee runs over here. I mean, they're treating us as the future of aerospace and the future of space exploration, which is just so... So inspiring. So last thing I wanted to hit on is, I mean, I feel like you have such a passion for the creative side of things and you're also so technically sound and you're part of an organization that is is really weighty in their tasks and their um, their goals and missions. So since you are basically, you know, just starting there, what kind of 
lead do you want to take charge of over the next you know three or four years? Like, how do you want to be a catalyst at NASA and for aerospace um, and really be one of the main leaders um, within your industry? I think above all, I am most passionate about this technology that I'm working with. Um, much in the way that the smartphone kind of took over the world overnight, I am really confident that the same thing is going to happen with virtual reality. It's going to be a household name. It's going to be something that everyone has, everyone owns. It's going to be accessible. It's going to be kind of like our new way of communicating. And um, there's this excitement that I feel about being a part of this bigger thing before it you know, even takes off. Um, and I'm really excited to see what happens when it does. Um, and I think that no matter what I end up doing in the future, I just want to make sure that I'm doing something that one, obviously, that I love, and two, that is going to benefit humanity. And, you know, I don't want to sound cheesy and I don't, I don't want to you know, <laughs> sound like bigger than myself or anything, but um, it really, it comes down to that. And NASA's mission overall, and like w what we stand for is, you know, the betterment of humanity. And the universe is so big and the earth is so small. And now I'm getting so philosophical. But, you know, if you want to make an impact, you have to think of humanity as a whole. Like, that's, that's all we have. That's what we live for. And um, I think... This technology is going to change the way that we live. It's going to change the way we think, the way we talk, just everything. And if I can be a part of that and I can be a part of this radical change, then I will have done something right. You know, I, I love getting philosophical, so I'm not even – I ain't even mad. I, I love thinking <laughs> like – I don't know if you know what the Fermi paradox is, Um but that kind of like big heady theory stuff really gets me in my feels a lot. Like I, um, <laughs> I think a lot about like life out in the universe and and the fact that like what if what if we're the only like the only life in the universe or what if there's um, you know millions of other life forms that are w waiting to colonize us or what if we're so insignificant that they don't even want to colonize us because we are just like we're like we're ants on the cosmic scale and then and then you sort of have right. to bring yourself in and be like okay well at the end of the day the answer to those questions they don't really matter because we're never gonna know and like you said at the end of the day yeah the earth is so small we're so minuscule cosmically right we're like a cosmic speck but we mm -hmm. that that is okay because what's important is how we impact others and so if that is technology like vr revolutionizing the way that we get into space and get a little closer to those answers i mean it's it's got to feel um it's got to feel pretty philosophical um honestly like like really philosophically fulfilling absolutely whenever i feel overwhelmed or whenever something isn't really quite working right in my life all I have to do is take a step back and think about the sheer size of the universe. And then my anxiety turns into just like kind of terror and then kind of like, oh, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> so that's a really, it's a really good way to keep your perspective broad and um, keep your eye on what's important. Definitely. Well, Tanya, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast and giving us this really unique take on 
how VR is impacting aerospace, um, and how you know collaboration between private organizations and government organizations are really encouraging a lot of growth in an industry that was struggling with funding for a long time and is is getting this revitalization, this this new kick. It's really encouraging to see and it's really exciting. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited to see how you lead in your area and uh, where aerospace and space exploration goes in the future. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Anytime. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to hear other wildfire episodes or some of our other podcasts, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time. Till next time.